This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the war in Ukraine is never far from our minds. It's the first European war since 1945. It is an invasion by Vladimir Putin on a neighboring country. It has produced something quite shocking. And we passed the 500th day yesterday of this conflict. And throughout that time, Johnny O'Reilly has been reporting for us from Ukraine Johnny is a journalist and a filmmaker, and he is in Kiev, but he has been to Kherson, has just come back from Kherson, which has been a center of conflict, an important center of conflict. And also, Johnny lived in Russia for some time, so he's entirely familiar with the circumstances. Johnny, thank you very much for joining us on the stand. The first thing I want to raise with you is actually about a report that's breaking it's breaking news at the moment of a meeting between Prokhorjin and Vladimir Putin. Prokhorjin, of course, is the person who attempted, it appears, an insurrection two weeks ago and then backed off. But he is an old ally of Putin's. And it is reported in some press at the moment that Prokhorjin has been given a task by Putin in order to cement the rapprochement. And the task is to murder President Zelensky. It's an extraordinary news story. We're not entirely sure that it's true, but it, the sources are credible enough. What do you make of that? Well, actually, I'm just reading now that um, the uh, Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, has confirmed that meeting. Uh, but obviously didn't confirm the uh, agreement that you refer to. But yes. Yeah, on the 29th of June, five days after the failed or the abandoned uh, rebellion, Putin met with Prigozhin and up to apparently 35 people 
including unit commanders, and that the meeting lasted about three hours. So that's uh, some news that has just come out, and it does reveal a bit more of the state of play between Prigozhin and Putin. Now, with regards to, you know, uh, this leak that it was decided that Prigozhin should uh, arrange for Zelensky's murder. Um, that's kind of, again, I would put that in the category of scaremongering. Yes. Because uh, they are trying to murder Zelensky and have been doing ever since the beginning of yes, the war. Of so course. it's no news that they're trying to do that. And uh, Zelensky has his own team of security who are constantly mitigating these threats. So I don't see that as any kind of uh, shift in policy or, or, or anything by the, the Russians. But again, just something to, to, to scare people off. Yes, now we will come to the summer offensive, as it's now been called, launched by Ukraine in a moment. Just before we do, there was a terrible murder of civilians by a cruise missile or a missile of some kind in Kramatorsk. It was a pizza restaurant. The reported number of people dead is 13. One of them was a well-known uh, Ukrainian writer, Victoria Amelina. She was killed, and two 14-year-old twin girls also. There was also a terrible attack on civilians in Lviv within the last few days. These kinds of war crimes, atrocities, attacks on civilians, and I understand, Johnny, that one of the people who was in that restaurant was a friend of yours. Yeah, she uh, luckily uh, got away with just light injuries, but uh, she's obviously very shook up by the whole experience. Um, and she did tell me everything that happened. She said she had uh, just enough time to close her eyelids. When the missile struck and uh, she was concussed and then managed to get out of there pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, 13 civilians were killed in that attack. But... Uh, this is a restaurant that I know, and it is the one of about three restaurants in that are operating in Kramatorsk, and it's considered by the press corps as the best restaurant. Yes. So a lot of journalists go there, a lot of NGO workers, but most of all, a lot of soldiers who are <clears throat> on leave, temporary leave from the front lines, they they live in a cop ofs for you know two or three days and then they have a day or two off and yes. they go to Kramatorsk and then go to this uh, restaurant. Yeah. So Ria, the reason, Ria is the name of the pizzeria. Yeah, isn't it? yes. it's it's a it's it's a very big restaurant. It has all kinds of um, rooms and balconies and terraces in it. It's two stories high, and it was targeted with an Iskander missile, which is one of the uh, missiles the, the Russians have. Which is, uh, you know, highly precise. Yes. Um, so they knew that there would be civilian casualties. Um, but the number of, uh, military casualties are not reported by Ukraine. Therefore, you can imagine, you know, given that there were more military personnel there than civilians, uh, what the number yes. uh, might be given that there was 13 civilian casualties. It was reported that the Ukrainian authorities arrested a man who they believed was outside the restaurant and was, as it were, uh, sending information to the Russians or 
something of that nature, guiding them in some way. I don't know if there's any development on that, but that was reported, which suggests, well, it could be anybody. But there are still, aren't there, people in Ukraine, individuals and indeed communities that have sympathy for the Russian assault. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Kramatorsk uh, before the war would have probably been majority pro-Russian. Right. Um, so, well, before the the invasion, uh, you know, last year, but uh, pre-2014, that would have been different. But certainly, yeah, in a, in a frontline town like Kramatorsk, there would be plenty of sympathizers and people who would be sharing information with the Russians. Yes, now, President Biden is in London at the moment. He's going off to a NATO meeting and high on the agenda of that meeting will be support for Ukraine to join NATO. Of course, as I'm sure you know, Article 5 of the NATO Charter demands that if one member is attacked, then all the other members will come to their assistance. Now, in the present circumstances, that isn't possible. Is there support? I'm sure there is support, uh, Johnny, for Ukraine joining NATO and indeed joining the EU. And those atrocities that the Russians are committing, they are deeply shocking. Are the Ukrainians as shocked as we are, or is it what you expect? Is it the way Russia fights wars? Yeah, this is the way Russia fights wars, and um, of course people are shocked. Um and, you know, people are shocked in Russia as well because they are getting images that are quite similar uh, in terms yes. of Ukrainian targeting, uh, you know, concentrations of Russian troops where also there would be civilian deaths. Um, now, not that's not to equivocate one with the other. Obviously, uh, on the Ukrainian side, there's a lot more mitigating factors with regards yes. to their uh, military policy. But um, certainly people are shocked by uh, all of these events uh, and you, all the information that comes out of them is, is almost instantaneous because there's always people with a mobile phone near any event yes. like that. Um, but with, with, with regards to um, Ukraine's NATO accession, it does seem that Ukraine is going to get um, you know, in, in a communique language that will commit to some kind of path towards yes. NATO in the distant future, uh, plus a firmed up security assistance commitment, but, uh, short of the outright, uh, commitment to a date, uh, of joining NATO, but yes. certainly it's another step towards Ukraine's accession to NATO, which won't happen during war because it, it, if it happens during war, then all NATO uh, allies have to join that war. So I don't expect it to um, and for Ukraine to uh, join NATO before the war ends. But I think it was the Minister of Defense who claimed that Ukraine is already a de facto NATO member, given the scale of support and weaponry that has been provided to, to the country. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Yeah, now weaponry is a problem for Ukraine. It's a problem for the United States of America as well, uh, Joe Biden has admitted. And this has brought into play a very controversial decision by the United States government, by Joe Biden, effectively, I would think, to um, supply cluster bombs to Ukraine. It is something that the Russians are using, but cluster bombs are very, as you know, volatile and dangerous weapons. And for example, Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, said it's not something that they are very keen on, which is a British understatement for saying they wouldn't have done it. But this war was described yesterday by the joint uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in America, Mark Milley. He told the National Press Club in Washington that although the counteroffensive was advancing steadily, that it would be a long and very bloody war. Is that the sense you have? Yes, I don't think anything's changed in terms of the chances at, at you know how long this could be drawn out, and no one really knows for sure. Um, you know, obviously what could expedite it is a, uh, collapse of Putin's political system, another yes. armed rebellion. Um, and that's what, you know, many people hope for. 
But yeah, when you look at the attrition rates and also the uh, speed of advance on the ground, it does look like it's going to last longer than many people obviously would like. But the thing with war is that it, it's it's attritional until there's a breakthrough, and the breakthrough can come very suddenly and can have a knock-on effect in terms of morale, in terms of organization, logistics, uh, elsewhere. So, yeah, it's it's slow and attritional until, you know, everything changes. Yes. So it's not something that you, you, you can plan for specifically, but certainly the provision of cluster munitions will have an impact uh, on the ground given the attritional nature of the of the of the the battle at the moment you can imagine that most of the battles take place around these trenches which could be anything from a few hundred meters to a few miles long so the enemy are entrenched in you know 2 meter deep trenches that are very hard to extricate from there yes. but with the provision of cluster munitions, it does make it easier to to destroy enemies' positions in, in, in trenches. So it will make a difference depending on how many munitions are provided. Um, but it and it obviously is a very controversial matter because most NATO countries have joined the Convention on Cluster Munitions, which incidentally was negotiated over a 10-day period in Croke Park in <laughs> 2008. Yeah, it's actually, it was all negotiated in Ireland. Yeah. Minister of Foreign Affairs Dermot O'Hearn had, had set that up. Right. And uh, so they negotiated in, in, in Croke Park and then signed it in Oslo at the end of 2008. Uh, but Russia, U Ukraine and Amer US are not signatories to that. Um, but those cluster munitions that you, the U.S. wants to provide to Ukraine have been uh, phased out and uh, are were not being planned on being used. So it's an easy decision in terms of um, uh, financing. Um, the difficulty was just the political ramifications of of, of increasing the supply of cluster munitions. Just so you know, the cluster munitions have already been used by both sides in the war. Yes. Uh, and it, it's a war crime to use cluster munitions on civilian targets, not on military targets. Yes. Um, um, and I, I, I know that cluster munitions have been used on civilian targets because I was in Nikolaev around this time last year and a friend of mine who was making a documentary there actually she got injured by one of those bomblets and I saw the damage to her car. It was uh, pretty phenomenal, much worse than any car crash that you can imagine could yes. do damage to a car. So these little bomblets are extremely dangerous. Yeah, so ammunition is becoming an issue. The Germans now have, uh, have promised that they will announce a significant additional amount of munitions and the Americans are... And it's amazing to think about this, but they uh, are running out of certain stuff that's required. And I wonder what the public mood is. There's just one other factor that uh, is interesting in the note you sent us, Johnny, about Erdogan, the Turkish president who's recently re-elected, a kind of ally of Putin's at times. 
But he did allow Ukrainian grain-carrying ships to go to the Black Sea with the backing and protection of the Turkish Navy, uh, although Putin uh, wanted to try to stop that. And he also has shifted Turkish policy in recent days, which you think reflects Putin's weak, weakened position after the attempted coup by Prigozhin. Yeah, I believe so. I think this is quite a significant shift in Turkish policy. And bear in mind that Turkey grants access to uh, all countries to the South Sea yeah. through the Bosphorus state. And is a member of NATO, <laughs> one should say. And, and is a member of yeah. NATO and has quite a significant navy. Uh, so three things have happened which shifted uh, Erdogan's position in the la- only in the last week. One, as you mentioned, um, he has committed to uh, protecting the grain-carrying ships in the Black Sea if no deal on the if the grain deal cannot be extended. In doing so, he, 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 he pretty much broke with Putin and uh, threatened him with the with the might of the of the Turkish navy. So that was quite a significant move. Also, he extended public support for Ukraine to join NATO. In an interview, he said that uh, they should join and they deserve to join NATO. Um, and he had done a deal with Putin over the leaders of the Azov Battalion, who you might remember from over a year ago, holed up in the Azov-style steelworks and uh, right till the end. And then a Turkish brokered ceasefire allowed uh, the the commanders and all of them to be um, brought to Turkey and a, a, a neutral country until the end of the war. So he broke with Putin and released those Azov-style uh, defenders who are Ukrainian, uh, who are Ukrainian. Yes, l- last week. So you know, d- delivering yet another fairly significant uh, political victory to Zelensky, who went down in his jet to pick the guys up and posed with them for a photo call. Yes. So that I think is quite significant. And interestingly, uh, in a recent interview with Biden. He gave a bit of a backstory to how this has all happened. And it's partly due to um, a deal he's done with Erdogan over getting a Swedish accession to NATO yes. and the delivery of uh, upgraded F-16s both to Turkey and Greece. So it seems that Biden has arranged a deal with provision of um uh, upgraded F-16s, possibly F-35s, to Turkey and to Greece in exchange for uh, the, the the shift on uh, policy towards Russia and also gaining Swedish accession to NATO. Yes, and uh, the question of Putin's weakness or perceived weakness vis-à-vis Progozhin and I, there's another uh, the, the two generals who were directing the war, um, one of them is Garasimov. He's been sacked over the weekend. You'd know a bit about that and the significance of that. The question of morale on the Russian side of, of this is critical, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's very critical, as is the question of the symbolic image of Putin's power. 
And what's quite interesting is that it took five days for the Kremlin to reveal that Putin had indeed met Prigozhin in person. And you could see how carefully Putin is treading these waters. Obviously, Prigozhin has forced him to the table and forced him to make concessions. So Putin is now in new charter territory for himself at home, where he has been forced, essentially at the, under the barrel of a gun, to fire a general who, to this point, he was very reluctant to fire. So Prigozhin is now very deeply entrenched into the military leadership of this war. So it's a story that's going to have many twists and turns going ahead. But uh, he is not well liked by many of the elite around Putin. And you can be sure that part of the reason there's so little information coming out about this is that people around Putin are all maneuvering and changing and trying to figure right. out themselves what's, what's happening. But it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's, uh, it's dis- potentially destabilizing for Putin, but we'll see, we'll see how it all evolves. Of course, Prigozhin is as big a thug and a kleptomaniac as Putin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was quite funny to think that um, the, the the outcome of the rebellion was decided by three people, Putin, Prigozhin, and Lukashenko. All of them, yes. you know, like, you, you can't believe a word either of them say. So all of these guys are totally untrustworthy, and they wouldn't trust each other either. So I, I, I doubt that this agreement will hold. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, Johnny, the mood of the Ukrainian people in the face of what they have endured for 501 days now is something that in the estimation of, you know, America's number one soldier, Mark Milley, will be very, very bloody and will go on for a long time. What is the mood of the Ukrainian people, particularly the ones that you know and the ones of your generation? Well, the most you know remarkable thing about life here in Ukraine is how normal it feels. And I think the morale has remained strong partly because of that. The electricity system works. The banking system has always worked the logistics, transport, everything has always worked from day one. And, all, you know, adjoined to that is a fairly successful exercise by Zelensky in all matters of the war and in public and international diplomacy. So Ukraine has always had, the Ukrainians have always had a, quite a lot to cheer about since the beginning of the war, despite obviously the war yes. itself. So morale has remained steady and strong and is probably the, the, the biggest weapon it has because uh, people, young men, are still willing to fight. They're still willing to go to war. They're still willing to make the, that sacrifice. There's nothing stopping them from doing that in the way that there would be in Russia where yes. you know, people don't trust the leadership. They don't trust the military. So morale, uh, remarkably, given the circumstances, has remained very strong here. Now, we are told that in a place called Bakhmut, that everyone will be familiar with the name now, it has been a fierce 
and long struggle between the Russians and Ukraine to have control of Bakhmut. And we're told at the weekend by a Ukrainian general that they are making progress in Bakhmut, which is presently held by the Russians. Can you tell us the significance, if it's just symbolic, Bakhmut, or what's going on there and what's at stake? I think the significance is it's symbolic in terms of the city itself because it's not a very important hub for logistics, but given its importance and the fact that, as you mentioned, it's now become very famous worldwide, um, it will have a big impact on morale of the troops, the Russian troops, if it falls to you back to the, to Ukraine. Um, Ukraine, uh, is making ground in the north part of the city, uh, north of the city and south of the city in an effort to effect a kind of a pincer movement around the city to avoid the kind of, uh, uh, very attritional, uh, yes. building to building fighting that could go on in the city. But if they successfully surround the city, it will force the Russians to retreat from there. Simultaneously, it, it is, drawing a lot of Russian firepower resources and troops from other places across the front line. Yes. So I, I just recently come from Kherson, where I spent a bit of time with a battalion commander who is throwing you know, his troops across the water to attack very deeply entrenched positions on the other side in, in very dangerous meeting, uh, in very dangerous um, operations with a, a lot of injuries and uh, casualties, unfortunately. But he told me that uh, the uh, rationale for this is not so much to take the positions over because it's going to be too hard to take and hold positions on the other side of the river, given that you need to send heavy weaponry to hold yeah. positions. But it's it's a pinning operation to pin Russian troops to yes. that position. So... A lot of the um, rationale for the battles across the 1,000 line, 1,000 kilometer front line are pinning operations just to pin the uh, opposition or the enemy troops into place while at the same time conduct these sporadic probing attacks yes. with larger amounts of troops and, and munitions and tanks to discover where the uh, weak point is. So the, 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 as the attritional nature of the war proceeds, um, one hopes to find those breakthroughs at various different points. And, and when that happens, the Ukrainians will uh, mobilize their strategic reserves, which are many of the troops that have been trained in NATO countries and are better equipped. So that's the breakthrough that everyone is hoping for right. and what the Ukrainian military are looking for. Meanwhile, they, they are making marginal progress in about three different uh, directions. Final point Again, it's about the battlefield. When they attacked Ukraine in their special military operation, as Putin insisted on calling it, they performed very badly, the Russians. But it is a military fact that it's easier to defend than to attack. And they are defending 
because they've had a lot of time to prepare for what was to be a spring offensive, eventually became a summer offensive. So it is easier to defend valiantly and with your minefields and your trenches and all of that stuff uh, than it is to attack. That is a fact of war. It's also a fact of football, Johnny. <laughs> Sorry to introduce levity about what is, of course, a tragic t- uh, fact or a, t- a tragic story. But it it is the case that Ukraine's progress will depend on the Russians' capacity, and that capacity is that 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 strength is more evident when they're defending than when they're attacking. Well, you, you will know as a footballer that um, oftentimes a, a team with great character will beat a team that is, has superior skill. Yes. And uh, so, th- th- therefore, the uh, advantage of good morale makes a huge difference on the battlefield. But one other thing, just to um, um, address the question you raised about the um, extra losses that you incur when uh, on the offensive compared to on the defensive. Uh, yeah, the, the rule of thumb is that you need to commit three times the amount of troops in offense as in defense. Right. And therefore, you uh, lose three times the amount of casualties as uh, the uh, opposition. But Ukraine is, uh, has, is following the NATO doctrine of asymmetric war, meaning that they have more precision munitions and less troops. So R- Russia does not have the precision guided munitions that uh, Ukraine now has, that's NATO provided to them. So therefore, the, uh, the, 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 the deaths and casualties on both sides are, are, are also asymmetrical. Yes. Uh, but no one knows the true number, so you, know, you, you can't be sure. But certainly, yeah, attacking is more dangerous than defending. Okay, Johnny O'Reilly in Kiev at the moment. We're very grateful to you, Johnny. Is an Irish journalist and a filmmaker, and we're very grateful to him. And uh, we hope you stay safe, Johnny. Thanks to Johnny. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.